You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 245 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two rock stars, two women that are rocking it, a barefoot trimmer and also uh, a masseuse, an equine masseuse. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hey, Jen, are you recovered from the Radiothon? Shoo! Oh, <laughs> that was a lot. But it was a little less than other years, so good it's job, you guys. A little less than other years. We, uh, we were able to recover a little more quickly from the six-hour Radiothon versus the... <laughs> previous 12-hour radiothons in other years. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, good. Now are you all ready for the Christmas spirit? We are. We actually decorated the house a little bit today. Aw, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yes. Good, yes. good, good. Yay you. Yeah, and it's not even December 1. As we are recording this, it is very close. <laughs> it's November 30th. It's but. darn close. It may as well be November. <laughs> close yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well there we and, go. And, and speaking of which... May as well be the closest. May as well, may as well be December first. It may as well um, be Science Weenie episode. That's the name of the title of the show. Science Weenie episode. <laughs> Science Weenie episode. I didn't put that in the title up here. You did. It's probably no. not not really great SEO for Science Weenie episode. But <laughs> really interesting guest today because yeah. it's almost a case of we're questioning a little bit the definition of science. Okay, right. And we're poking a little bit at, okay, this is what we think is scientific fact, but is it really? Because science, when you think about it, constantly evolves. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was a time when science thought the earth was flat. Yeah. Right? There was mm -hmm. a time when science thought that um, the brain didn't do anything. You know, it was just gel up there and everything happened in your heart it all mm -hmm. it's constantly evolving and we have a couple of guests today that are really poking and pushing at that science in the best possible way yeah very good and in yeah. fact they're reaching back to science that has existed and we've gotten kind of away from it so stay tuned for those who are history lovers and also those who are for progressive science lovers i think we got it all for you Something for everybody, and we'll get right to our first guest after we hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary, new, all-in-one, shedding, bathing, grooming tool, Hands on Gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. 
Hands-on is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, and groom our animals forever. Hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. Miranda Fior started trimming in 2002 to help her own laminitic horse with the help of Dr. Eleanor Kellen. It quickly turned into her career, and she's been trimming full-time professionally since 2004. Her clients range from endurance horses to founder cases to transitioning a horse who has been in shoes for many years. Miranda has a particular interest in rehabbing laminitis and founder cases and working with the owner to address underlying metabolic issues and to aid into the making the necessary dietary changes to help your horse on its path to recovery. She's a founding member of PHCP, Progressive Hoof Care Practitioners, and she's also the co-owner of Pure Soul Products, a line of natural horse care products that she she's also a proud mom of three kids with she homeschools these kids and she takes her kids working with her along so i think they're going to be the next generation of wonderful hoof trimmers well welcome miranda fiar i'm so happy to have you on i've had just a few barefoot trimmers um few farriers on before but your story is pretty darn compelling i i learn a lot from each one of you all who are professional uh, hoof people Okay. I mean, because some people do both. Some people barefoot trim and some people put hot shoes on. Um, But you all know so much about horses. And I guess that's the journey that I'd like to learn about you today is your horsemanship and, um, you know, what you do to take care of horses. And I'd like to start with, I saw the nicest, what people call Mustang or Brumby, Brumby roll that you put on these barefoot ponies and this quarter horse out here in front of our our place. And um, I don't see a lot of barefoot trimmers doing that. Maybe they are, and I'm not as familiar, but I thought it was just a thing to behold. And so it is possible to kind of tease a hoof, maybe not as good as Nevada soil does, but is <laughs> it possible to put a Mustang or a Brumby roll kind of on a domestic horse that doesn't move as much as them? Absolutely. So, yeah, so in my, in the wild, they're moving, you know, 25, 30 miles a day, and they're making their own roll. And they have flawless soles with palaces, and, you know, they're perfect naturally. But mm-hmm. so when we bring them into captivity, we have to try to mimic that as best we can. And um, certainly, if you have a thin wall, you're not going to have as nice of a roll. Mm-hmm. But um, so hoof quality plays a, plays a, a part in that, too. But um, definitely... We can create that role and eventually get the callus and the calloused frogs and have a beautiful captivity-wise, beautiful barefoot hoof. Great. See? Now, okay, so proven right here. Miranda said it. So um, now what if a horse doesn't have a thick wall? Is there a way to build it up? Yeah. So, I mean, you grow out. Nutrition is a huge part of it. Okay. And movement, like your track systems at Flag is Up are... Mm fabulous for that. Um, but nutrition plays a huge part in hoof quality. And then when you've been in shoes, you're going to have a thinner wall, usually speaking, and you have to grow out grow okay. out a nice, healthy new hoof. Okay. So we're going to feed them to grow nice nails on their hoofs. Yes. And yes. We're, we're also going to um, tease them a little bit, I guess, exercise them, pump them up a little bit um, by movement. And um, so tell me a little bit, I I didn't even talk to you about nutrition or what you, but I know that your story, tell us a little bit about how you got into trimming and then that'll make more sense. 
Well, so my beloved quarter horse mare, a black quarter horse mare um, that I had when I was a little girl and I had health problems. So she was my, my legs um, Mm -hmm. and she was everything to me. So she got laminitis in 2002 and she was fine, completely fine one day and down the next Mm -hmm. and grunting and moaning and basically unable to get up for a month. Um, Mm -hmm. And it wasn't mainstream yet. The thought that it was metabolic or could be metabolic um, cause for laminitis. So we tried everything we could try and all the vets just said, you know, basically you'll have to put her down. And we somehow found Dr. Eleanor Kellen, who is amazing, who's at the forefront of everything for IR and uh, Cushing's and uh, Mm -hmm. metabolic syndrome in horses. And she had us change the diet, which wasn't even that bad. But within a day, my mare was up walking. Wow. Um, wow. wow. But she still had, that was just with the emergency diet. And then she still had these bloody, long, you know, miserable feet mm-hmm. that she could barely walk around on. But she was up and she was in less pain. So we had a bunch of different people, but no one was doing what Dr. Kellen wanted us to do. So she said, you're going to have to do it yourself. And I was 18 and I thought, there's no way, you know, big men do that. <laughs> big Trimming, men. the and trimming. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, trimming, doing the trimming. So she said, you're going to have to trim her yourself. And I sent her photos and we did x-rays and we'd go back and forth. And she basically guided me through in the beginning, each step of the way and would say, well, that's good, but work on this and do a little more toe here and do a little more of this. Um, and she did so well that I started trimming for some friends who had laminated horses whose toes were really long and um, they just needed their heels down and their, you know, to conform to the coffin bone inside and try to realign it. Yeah. So it just became, and I'd say, I can't do it. I'm not a professional. And I'm, you know, I was young and they'd say, well, it can't be any worse than it is, or we're going to put it down anyway. So come try it. And yeah, that's how I got. And then they'd pull all the shoes at the barn and go barefoot. And it just kind of found me as a profession. Yeah, you are amazing at it too. And, and you should give a little background on your parallel journey too. You started off a l- with a little tough deficit in life as well. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So I, I developed, um, skills disease at 18 months old. So I had been walking around and being a normal baby and uh, I got skills disease, which is basically systemic onset juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So from then on, I, my joints all went into contractures and I couldn't, you know, walk at all. I had to use a wheelchair or be on horseback. So, Mm -hmm. and I had fevers and lung damage and all sorts of things with stills disease. So it was, it was nasty. I was a very sick child. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got my horse Raven, who's the one who got the laminitis and got me this whole career path. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened when that, you got Raven? What happened when you got Raven? What, what did, what changed in your life? Oh, well, I had ridden actually at Hearts Adaptive um, from the time I was about four. And I've been their barefoot trimmer for about 20 years now, which is very oh, cool. That's awesome. It was a good success story. But once I got Raven, I mean, she just changed my life. She was my everything. She was my reason to get up every day and go ride, even if I was sick or had a fever or was in pain. So mm-hmm. she was she was everything to me. So I was determined to save her <laughs> when she got yeah. sick. 
And I think she was determined to save you, too. Yes, she was. She <laughs> was. And she had quite a story of having kicked people and broken people's backs. And here she had this little frail kid that she, I rode her bareback because I couldn't get in a saddle. And she took such good care of me forever. That's amazing. Yeah. We didn't know the story when we first got her. We only heard the stories later. Yeah, your, your mom, mom probably wouldn't have mom let put me that on. disclaimer in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's no wonder that you have, uh, you know, the particular interest in rehabbing and and founder cases and things like that too. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you got into the metabolic issues with Dr. the help of Dr. Kellen as well. What are we doing wrong for our horses' hooves in their mouths? I mean, are we? I know insulin resistance. It's really kind of a diabetes for horses. But um, what do you what do what do you have to tell people right away? Go like, okay, stop doing this. Well, I mean, you know, we bring them in and give them lots of sugar. So basically, <laughs> uh, even even just the haze, you know, everything is depleted when you cut hay versus, you know, being out foraging and getting different minerals and vitamins from stuff that's actually alive plants. Um, you know, but then when you bring them on irrigated pasture, that can be really high in sugar. So, I mean, it's a big balance when you're in captivity. But basically, low sugar, low sugar, low sugar, and... You know, a lot of people feed just alfalfa or oat, and those really aren't, mm-hmm. you know, made for horses, aren't really right. made for, for full-time horse feeding. So um, low sugar and providing, trying to put back in some of those vitamins and minerals that are lost in the drying process with our haze, too. Mm-hmm. Do you actually give out advice then like that, or do you, do you work with your veterinarian to do that, or your nutrition veterinarian? Yeah. Well, so my mother, who's like my um, my partner in all of this and has yes. been since all our issues with Raven, and now with, she comes along with me and the kids mm-hmm. um, to work so that I can take my kids with me. Yeah. And she holds horses and jollies them up for me. Yeah. But she is, she's always been the diet person. And I've always been the person that, you know, half of it goes in one ear and out the other, even though I try to retain it all. I don't have the great brain for retaining and, and mineral balancing and Oh, all the things complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is complicated. It is complicated. So she's always my dietary person. Like she'll write page, page, page long emails to clients for me on, you know, dietary mm-hmm. recommendations. That's awesome. Um, and then of course the equine Cushing's group, which is um, yeah. ecirhorse.com with Dr. Kellen. I mean, referring people there is, they're the best source of info Good. too. Okay. So spell that carefully again so that we got that. So it's, ecirhorse.com. There we go. Okay, that's and Dr. That's Eleanor Kellen. Dr. Eleanor Kellen and and you know there is a specialty in veterinary practice as a nutritionist. Some some veterinarians yes. are nothing but nutritionists and so if somebody is really interested in that in their area too, you could you could look under that too. So the um yeah. you're a founding member of the Progressive Hoof Care Practitioners too, which if I remember correctly that is was that founded up here in Lompoc or where, where was that founded? Well, so it was a bunch of us who founded it. And um, okay. a lot of us were in California. It was a, a Pacific hoof care practitioners because we were mostly mm. Pacific area. So That's right. um, now it's grown worldwide. So now we've changed it to keep the PHCP. We changed it to progressive hoof care. Good. Practitioners. Good. And, yeah. um, but now it's a worldwide organization with people, you know, lots, we have a lot of people in, in Europe and 
So All people, over the place. I amazing. I it is amazing, and Jamie Jackson and you and some people that were. So the um, the idea is that these people are these trimmers are in this association, so that people can seek them out and know that you're trained in that direction. Is that right? Right. Well, so Jamie Jackson has the AA and HCP, which is a oh, group thank too. you, thank you for and making have, that. Yeah. Yeah, and we have the PHCP. So yeah, basically, people who are interested in learning hoof care, or you know, helping their own horses, or learning about it as a career, can find us on the line at progressivehoofcare.org and sign up. And then we have a bunch of webinars and anatomy clinics, and you know, go through a whole training program and see a bunch of different mentors throughout. I'm one of the mentors. I have been since we started. Nice. So you travel around and go work with different people in different climates and see a lot of hooves and mm-hmm. learn to trim them yourself. Oh, and people will have to go and see on your website too um, the the beauty of a, a hoof that is just teased to perfection. So your website is sbnaturalhoofcare.com. As in Sam, B is in boy, naturalhoofcare.com. I don't care how yeah. it, it, it finds you, Miranda, and that's the good part too. <laughs> and then also, I, I know that you, I think you have acquired this product, but that is the coolest looking product too. Pure Soul Products, um, Soul, S-O-L-E products yeah. too. Tell me, but what does that mud stuff do? It looks amazing. Well, so that's a bit of a story too. I have a I had a longtime client named Georgette Topakis who um, had started Zephyr's Garden Products long ago and then passed that along. And I was trimming her horse, Zephyr, and she said, you know, what should we do about his thrush? And I said, I really, I want, you know, I try to use all natural products, but nothing works that well. And she said, I'm going to make something. So she went off and came back the next six weeks and had this pure soul hoof mud. And so I was her first tester and I started using it on every horse I trimmed and I just loved it and it really worked and it was natural. So I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, putting chemicals in there because mm-hmm. chemicals create little micro abrasions that can create more areas for thrush to take hold. Mm, yeah. So um, I really wanted natural and this really worked. Yeah. There was a question that I wanted to ask about pure soul too, because I was reading about it being good for thrush, but we, we seem to have some white line happening around here too. It, I mean, that's a, lamination i guess too will it work does it help yes it does help with white line disease white line disease can be really tricky and sometimes you can try everything on the market and it's still hard to get rid of but definitely the um the hoof mud does help with that and then we have a wax too that you can um it's very malleable Mm. and it's beeswax based so you can stick it into tight areas and it's more of a it lasts a while because it really adheres well yeah. And what do you think about you Yeah, that sounds great. I didn't know about the wax either. But and what about the soaking? I know you just said chemicals can be harmful. So those soakings, is that kind of a last resort or, you know, where you have to bag the feet up and to try to get right, rid of that? The white lightning and yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I tend to try pure soul first, try the more natural things first. Um, but yeah, sometimes you do have to resort to those. And and resection, you know, where you have the vet or the farrier, depending on how deep it is, you know, mm-hmm. really open it up. And then yeah. uh, the air helps a lot, too. So once it's really well opened, then you can put in the pure hoof mud. Or if it's not totally cleaned out or it's still festering in there, you might have to resort to the more intense mm-hmm. 
therapies. Okay. Okay. The white line, okay. It, it's a tough one sometimes. Yeah. We have some older horses too, performance horses yeah. that have been suffering by it too. But I'm right. glad that there's people from inside and outside of the horse that are fighting this for us. Miranda, yes. I appreciate you. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate that you're like on the front lines for us too. And can't wait to what and so track systems, do you have a favorite part of a track system too? You talked about keeping the movement on those hooves. Um, have you seen some around here that, I mean, you mentioned ours, I appreciate that, but I feel like I'm kind of rudimentary at it. Have you seen some fantastic <laughs> examples here in the Santa Barbara County area? You know, we don't have very many track systems here. There's some some little ones in backyards and things, but I don't know very many, um, you know, that are big elaborate ones. I mean, one thing I love about track systems, which we've tried to do at our house for our rescue horses and we fail because it always runs away and things, but it's the pea, like areas of pea gravel, areas of different footing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can maintain having different footing and getting the hooves to callus as they move around. Yeah. Um, but they really do. We have a little mini track system at our house, which is, you know, it's not big and elaborate, but they do definitely move more mm-hmm. when they have a track to go around for some reason. And they've done studies on that, as you know, yeah. um, you know, where they put monitors on the horses and, if they have a big open area, they kind of stand in one spot. And if they yeah. have a track, they keep going and going and going. It's so, cute. yeah, any movement is wonderful for horses Great. in every way, shape, and form. Every way, shape, and form. I love that, too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that um, factoid and that in- encouragement. And and um, do you have you noticed that their hooves are better since they've been going around your little track system, too? Yeah, well, you know, my horses are the cobbler's children that don't get as much hoof care as everybody else does. Because when I get home, I'm just like, God, oh, they can wait. Yeah. Um, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it, it does. They do. They have had better hooves since having a track system. But also, when we do keep up the different footing, um, you know, like having pea gravel and having areas of, of harder footing, they you really see it. It polishes the soles clean. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Well, I'll let you get back to your family. You're such a good mom (laughs) and and such a good trimmer. And I appreciate your time. I know it's difficult to schedule all these things too. So thank you so much for being on Horsemanship Radio. Oh, thanks for having me. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and sigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. Alicia Maine is a holistic dog trainer and spent 22 years researching and connecting the dots between dogs' bodies, their biomechanics, and their behavior. But she's also an equine masseuse and enjoys focusing on the holistic health of our companion animals as a whole, like dogs and horses. 
Well, welcome, Alicia Maine. This is the first time I've had you on Horsemanship Radio, and you come highly recommended. I'm welcome. I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. When I when I think about how I got here and remember reading your dad's book, it's like, is this real? (laughs) 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 Yeah, um, and and when you say, is this real? About his ability to join up with the horse or what part do you think was real? Being someone who's always loved horses and then reading about his experiences and the Mustangs and never in a million years fathoming that I would be working with horses at the level that I do or, you know, working with the Mustangs in the way that I do. And so it's just really kind of mind blowing. I was, I was listening to one of his recordings about um, life goals and just, you know, your dad's background and, you know, how he said, he's like, I couldn't have even fathomed Mm -hmm. that I would be going to England to be working with the queen. Like it's that kind of amazing that it's like, you never know how, things are going to work out. You just follow what your heart and your gut is, is directing you to. Mm, That's good. If we can do it. Yeah, that's, it's true that if people could see the end of the story, then oftentimes difficult things actually become huge opportunities. And that's when one thing that dad says is, you know, it wasn't a great childhood growing up, but on the other hand, he was able to stay with horses his whole life, which is a blessing, and also to be able to influence a lot of people with their horses, too. So he said, ah, in retrospect, I guess I'd rather have it that way than just to have followed along and done whatever he was told. You know, he wouldn't have had much of a life that way either. We just don't know unless we're true to ourselves, I think. And I feel like that's a lot of your journey, too, that you've um, we said in your bio here, reading about you a little bit, that you've spent um, 22 years at least researching and connecting between mostly dogs. I know you, your training is mostly, or your coaching is in uh, with the dog world. But I'm I'm pretty interested in what you, how you got into the equine masseuse. How did the horses work into your life? Oh, uh, um, horse. I mean, it started probably the first time my parents put me on the back of a pony. (laughs) We didn't live on a property. We actually grew up in the Bronx. And so riding, you know, was basically a stable and, and not, you know, it was pony rides. It wasn't really riding and taking lessons. But when I was about nine years old, my dad took a job in Pennsylvania and he started running a resort and Half of the property was resort space. Half of the property was homeowners. So they had a stable and the stable was right up the road from us. And every weekend I would literally take a bus, a Greyhound bus from the Bronx to Pennsylvania and ride. And so, yeah, I wasn't all Western. I never started out with English, but I just, I love the horses so much. And I would usually get up to the stable before the the stable manager or before, you know, owners of horses would come. 
And I had a lot of time to just sit and be with the horses. Mm-hmm. And my mind as a kid, I mean, it was really busy. I was really, you know, fiery and always wanted to do things. And there wasn't much time that I actually spent sitting still. Mm-hmm. But sitting in the barn with these horses, you know, just literally listening to them eat mm-hmm. and watching as the rays of sunlight kind of came into the barn. And, you know, when the sun kind of hits a horse's eye in a certain way, it's almost like you can see through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just knew in, in my being, it wasn't even in my brain. It was like the one thing that would get me out of my brain, you mm-hmm. know, and get me into being connected with my body, with my soul, with nature. And that went on for about four years and it just oh, wow. was an amazing yeah, it was an amazing experience to spend that time away from, you know, concrete city. Mm-hmm. Um and and be be with nature and not have you know that time where it was like, okay, I'm at the barn and this is the time slot I have and I have to ride and there you know, I would just sit for like an hour, an hour and a half before anybody got there and just really get to let horses seep as deeply into my soul as possible. There's a lot of people who can relate to that, I'm sure, is their time as a kid just being with horses. And it's kind of funny how we lose that sometimes as adults that we become, well, certainly more rigid about it, scheduled and uh, performance driven maybe, or or at least goal oriented. And, and we kind of forget about that just relaxed, no agenda time. And, but if we could get back to that and let's say we had unlimited time to do that, what would you tell an adult to do? in that time, just sit there and listen to the horse breathe? Or is there, is there a sort of a pointed way to do that? Well, having worked with a lot of adults, being a fitness trainer and then being a dog trainer and then being a master animal communicator and body worker, the first thing that I recognize about people is that we're way more in our head we're way more in our intellect. We're always thinking, 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 you know, figuring out if things are logical, rational, and we lose that connection. And like you said, right, whether it's goals or agendas or it's like, okay, we grow up and we have different responsibilities that we need to take care of than when we're a kid. Mm-hmm. The first place I start with anyone is breathing okay. because I've heard it said, you know, it's like, it's the simplest things. And the message I keep getting from the horses, they're like, anything you talk about this year, keep it simple, Mm -hmm. bring it back to the simplest stuff. And our breath is the one thing that depending on how we're breathing, whether we're breathing into our chest or our belly, whether we have a matched inhale and exhale, Mm. it dictates literally how our brain chemistry functions. So, you know, where neuroscience has been talking about how much it's like, oh, these brain chemicals. And these, I was like, yeah, but those brain chemicals happen prior through the breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> breath is actually what's directing the brain chemicals. So, so the first thing I have to do okay. is literally just have someone tune back into balancing their breath. Because as soon as they do, and as soon as they become relaxed in their body, that horse goes, okay, we're safe. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever want to work a horse. I mean, and I've 
worked with many horses and I'm not a trainer, but I connect with them and I work with their bodies and understand them. So the first thing that they always have to feel is safe. And, you know, where humans read science as papers and data on pages and stuff, animals are experts at reading our energy. So you kind of can't fake it till you make it with a horse with intellect and logic and reason. Like you really got to show up and be present. So that's mm-hmm. the first place it would start. Good. Yeah. I like that. Um, I, I would say that dad would start with the two most important things before he is to work with a horse is how we present our body language and to be present with our horse as well. And without those, and it's a difficult thing for a clinician, isn't it? If we want to put dad in the clinician trainer category, when you're talking to people, you're imparting, you're um, scheduling, you're, you're, you're making all kinds of decisions to be present with a horse. It's, a, it's, quite a, it's quite a talent, actually, to do that. Use your body language well, which means... Uh, to stay soft, to stay angular, 45 degree angles work much better than coming out a horse square shouldered, you know, all those things are body language and, and perceived by horses from way back. We talk about zones of, of awareness with horses and how we can be a mile away and they're aware of us. And then when we get close to where the pressure zones are, as they make those decisions whether to move or not. But we don't, we often do that uh, or, or dad will teach that and then his minions like me um, <laughs> try to try to emulate that teaching and and describe that to people who are working around horses. And when we do that, we we don't talk about energy a lot, but mm-hmm. I would like for you as an expert in this to delve into energy a little bit because everybody knows that when a horse can see you and smell you and feel your presence, there's an energy that we're giving off, a presence that we're giving off. And without getting too complicated, so if we can agree on that, what else might we want to learn about that? Well, I didn't understand or know about any of this stuff till I started my journey through fitness training, which led me, um, one of my clients, kind of started leading me on a journey, not, it was so, it was beyond my body language. Like I had, it was an inner journey, right? Through my body. Okay. So I started personally, like started with breathing because breathing literally is what dictates your body language. Not Mm -hmm. body language is not separate from breath. Good. When the breath is relaxed, so is the body language. And that's why it's a struggle for us sometimes, right? Because we think we're like, well, I'm, I'm trying to relax. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. But <laughs> trying to relax isn't mm-hmm. the same thing as actually relaxing. And that horse knows that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I grew up with horses, I mean, my, my dad's perspective was, hey, listen, a horse is a big, stupid animal. So mm-hmm. you need to control it because otherwise its mission is to hurt you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> That's a pretty defensive posture, yeah. you know, <laughs> going to as like, a, you know, a 10 year old and 11 year old when you're just like, oh my God, I love horses so much. And I don't necessarily believe that mm-hmm. they're trying to help me. But as I, as I kind of, as that part of my life ended and I was more, you know, concentrated in the Bronx and then kind of came back to horses later in my, in my twenties, 
the things that I needed to learn were actually not as much about the horse, but about myself. Mm. Like, who was I? How was I showing up? You know, I didn't really think about those things. And then one of my clients gave me the gift of acupuncture Mm. one Christmas. And I'm thinking, okay, we'll try this, but uh, I don't like needles. <laughs> and I can't exactly understand what this little Chinese man who's a master is telling me. Like, I don't, you know, my ear was just not attuned, right, to to the subtle nuances in the Chinese dialect. But I went and I had the most profound experience that I had had in my life up until that point. Because I was always so much in my head and like thinking and then like thinking even before I was thinking and then thinking mm-hmm. how to counteract what somebody was saying. I, I wasn't even being in my body. Mm-hmm. So when I had all these needles that I was terrified of in my body, my breath changed mm-hmm. at some point during those needles being in my body. And when it changed, I found an aspect of myself, which we'll call energy, because about everything is energy. It's what quantum physics is is now, you know, focused on. But this was from a five thousand year old practice, right. you know, teaching people how to stay aligned with their mind and their body and their spirit. Because we have a physical body, right? But then we say, well, what's energy? Your emotions are energy. Yeah. Your feelings are energy. Your thoughts are energy. Your breath. Everything we take in around us, we live basically in an energy soup. Yeah. So energy is everything, and it is literally what animates our body. I mean, think about it. I know we eat food, right, to supposedly have energy mm-hmm. to live. But what happens when we're not eating food? Where's our batteries? Our batteries yeah. are the energy of the entire universe. It's all the molecules. It's everything we're made up of. So this isn't something like weird or woo-woo. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what I wanted you to say too, is because horses are reading all of this. So if yep. we believe in horses' ability to read us, which I think most people listening have some um, you know, weight in that, um, then we've got to figure out what that is that they're reading in us in order to yeah be more in line and feel more present with them too. And and you know if we if we want to throw a little science geeky in there, which I always like to do, um, <laughs> I, I did a little research on on quantum healing, quantum physics, and so one factoid was that there's a I hope I'm not butchering their names, but Niels Bohr and a Max Planck who are two of the founding fathers of quantum theory, and they both received a Nobel Prize in physics for their work. And Einstein uh, is considered the third founder of quantum theory because he described light as a quanta in his theory of photoelectric effect. Um, And that won a 1921 Nobel Prize. I know that was a long time ago, but it isn't nearly as long ago as the... Chinese exploration of energy too, and and um, all those things that you know they've been at it for a lot longer than we have in perfecting muscles and energy. And anyway, it's not woo woo; it is actually science. But we've got to pay attention because I think this is where and uh, Jen and I were talking about this before we we started today too with you, is that um, 
we think of everything coming through our brains and telling our bodies everything to do. And I'm sure that's true in most mammalian cases and, and horses. Um, but we, we had just read and saw this thing on oct- an octopus. The, the octopus can actually think through their tentacles, too. They can actually devise things through their tentacles outside of their brain or is it outside of their brain? Isn't their brain kind of down in their tentacles? Um, and there's uh, Crunch Labs, I think it is, Jen. Is that what we call that um, site? That's the, the name of the company, yes. It's, the company yeah. that did that thing that we were watching, the video that yeah. we are watching. And, and that just puts a whole other twist. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. The brain can be down in the arm and, and it can think in independently. So well, who, who are we to know, you know, what is... Um, what is woo-woo and what is something we just didn't know anything about yet? Can we really go quantum here? Okay, go quantum leap. (laughs) So you know how like throughout most of our lives and most of our generations and our parents' generations, so they've been doing testing on animals, right? Like testing substances. Okay. Well, I don't want to get woo-woo because I don't believe that this is woo-woo. But (laughs) during my experience with my Chinese doctor, I was, a friend of mine called me and she said, you have to go to Hawaii. And I said, okay, why? She goes, well, my friend was there last year. She swims with dolphins. She loves dolphins. You love dolphins. She does Qigong. You do Qigong. She's a fitness trainer. You're a fitness I was like, well, what's, what, you know, I get it. <laughs> and, and she said, there's an animal communication workshop there. And I was like, What? <laughs> I knew when I was a kid, as we all do, that we're connected with them. And then we're told, nope, that doesn't exist. You're making it up. Here's the point I want to make about the science of it, not the woo-woo. Okay. <laughs> because of taking that path, because of learning to remember, to connect. Because when you talk about quantum, there's numerous things in there, right? So one of the things in there, in ter- because everything is energy, Right. So we see everything is physical, but then there's these also things like when a mom senses something's going on with her kid and for whatever reason, she just picks up the phone and says, Hey, are you okay? No, I was just in a car accident. You know what I'm saying? So telepathy is something that's hardwired into us. This is not this weird out there thing. And why I wanted to bring it up is because what you just said about the brain 5,000 years ago, the the Taoist monks who lived in the forest and literally learned directly from the animals how things actually work, like the natural science, right? Mm-hmm. Not the science that we have today that has been very manipulated, unfortunately. Yeah. But the natural science is that our gut brain is our first brain. Mm-hmm. It's what it's like when you take a picture with your camera, right? There's raw data that comes in and then the camera formulates it as like, oh, okay, here's the picture. So the cool thing about this is that I have been learning so much more about our natural sciences Mm. because of being open to the communication and not thinking, okay, well, you're an animal, you can't talk or that's weird. It's like, wow, like, tell me, show me, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I want to learn from you guys. Help me remember how this stuff really, really works. Oh, that's a cool idea. So, I mean, help me remember is an interesting thought, Alicia, because we yeah. have gotten away from so much of our grounding, haven't we? 
hundred percent, right? And then also too, when you're in, so let's say you take yoga or you study, you know, you're studying Qigong or Tai Chi or you're hanging out with animals or you're meditating. What you're actually doing is actually getting yourself out of your head brain and back into your gut brain. Because when you start breathing differently, when you start belly breathing, that's activating a little bit more of your parasympathetic nervous system. So you're getting out of the logic and reason of the head and you're getting back into your instincts. I love that. Well, I I've got to right. jump in with a question. Jump in. Because we're all getting so geeky. Okay, <laughs> so cool. geek out on this. Let's geek I out on this. this. I, I, am also, I am also one of those people that um, it feeds my soul to sit quietly and observe. Mm-hmm. Um, horses are I my would... favorite, but other things as well. Mm-hmm. So when you are observing, you're allowing your gut brain to take things Mm -hmm. in i've found that as i've worked on that skill it's a skill because we've learned to not use it we have to re we have to find it again as i've found it and become better at it i find more and more often that the preconceived notions that i had and the what i thought was knowledge that i had using my modern scientific head brain were not what they weren't the right answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. That's, that's not what my head brain thought it was versus because it's very easy. We'll use the woo woo. When we talk about using your gut brain, the, your hard wiring, your DNA, learning to use that and, and learning to, Uh, trust it it's very easy for someone to say oh that's just a lot of woo woo all you're doing is anthropomorphizing yeah i can't say (laughs) that word (laughs) yes all you're doing is putting your emotions onto what you're observing and i thought the same and again as i've learned to um trust it a little bit more and be more objective allow that to give me an honest answer versus just going, oh, it's just got to be warm and fuzzy, Um, that the answers I get from those observations, and it's just not just your eyes that are observing, it's your whole body that's doing the observing, your ears, your eyes, your smell, your sense of touch, because yes, even though you're not touching what you're observing, you can feel it, that I don't look at it and go, I was wrong about what I thought before, versus oh, this is much more informed now. I feel more informed. Sure. I feel like I understand it better and I can act appropriately. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting that you, um, at, at the beginning of the conversation, you said, we're going to go quantum here and it's not just woo-woo because 20 years ago, I would have been the first person to raise my hand and say, excuse me, that's woo-woo. <laughs> you <laughs> like then, that expression. Yes, okay. <laughs> and then I love the woo-woo. I'm going to use that if you don't mind, Alicia. The conversation that we had earlier about the how a octopus has brain neurons. He has neurons that are in your brain. He has those same cells in the little suction cups on his tentacles. Right. That blew my mind because as a human, as a modern human, I say, well... All of the thinking happens in your head. 
And as you pointed out at the beginning of the conversation, Alicia, it does not all happen in your head. And <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, so, this has been a, this has been a so, totally fascinating conversation, um, and we're well, just we're just playing kind of running out of time. Would it be okay if if we uh, rescheduled and had you come back again sometime soon? This has been fascinating. I would love to because there is so much to unpack about what you said, and it's not my truth. I mean, it is my truth now, but the things that I have learned directly from the animals and especially the PhD study that I did with, you know, how they say if a horse can feel a fly 12 inches off its body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then heart math says, okay, the horse's, you know, heart coherence goes out to 10 to 30 miles. I've got evidence and I've got case studies of, no, it doesn't. It goes out at least 7,000 miles because I've worked on animals at distances via Zoom that have completely transformed their bodies and their behaviors without me ever moving their feet, without me ever touching them. And so it's interesting, right? Because you go, that is woo woo. And if you actually go back to what the Chinese perspective of how energy works and how it moves, it's actually called Wu Wei. There we go. <laughs> so we're going to have you back on again in, in the new year. And we're going to talk about Wu Wei. Woo woo. <laughs> I love it. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in the magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I wanted to ask your opinion. Do you think a horse has a right of way in a normal world? In our area around Denver, horse people's life is greatly affected by development and ignorant, hurried people with a different set of values. The legacy of horse people is in trouble. What is the law when a horse is on a country road in a neighborhood? Wouldn't it be common courtesy to slow down, especially if the animal is spooked by something? Monty's answer. There are many regulations regarding horses and public roadways. These will typically become more complicated within certain city limits, and horses are often totally forbidden on certain freeways and large motorways. It is essential that you become familiar with the laws regarding the public roadway you intend to use. If it is normal country riding, riding a horse on the shoulder or the verge is an accepted activity. If it is accepted, then drivers have an obligation to take reasonable precautions regarding the horses, the rider's safety. Having said that, I suppose it is time to advise you that as horse people, we are still responsible for our own safety, recognizing that certain drivers will be irresponsible. For example, while you are riding your horse on the shoulder of the road, there is no law against a driver passing you at the speed limit and blowing his horn to see how well you ride. Should you be injured in such an incident, there is no real legal recourse given that the driver has broken no laws. Unfortunately, as our world becomes more urban, roadways are not considered safe places to ride. It is true, however, that certain country roadways are pleasant and certain geographical areas produce drivers that understand horses and are quite courteous. You must be aware of the circumstances in your locality. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond, or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs. But not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. In January, here we are. 8 through 12 is the Gentling Wild Horse course. That's five days. Then January 20 is our Mountain Trail Play Day. January 27 is our Horsemanship 101. Then in February, we're in 2024 here now, February 5 through 9 is Monty's special training. So that's it for now. You don't Lots have going on. Yep. Lots going on. You can find all of that more at MontyRoberts.com. You can call MontyRoberts.com. Yes, you can call them, 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com or MontyRoberts.com, and you're going to find this episode and all of the other episodes of the Horsemanship Radio Show with links and photos and more information about today's guests and topics. We love to hear your feedback. Great way to do that is on social media. If you're old school and use Facebook like I do, <laughs> it's Monty Roberts. The one with a little blue check mark. And on Twitter as well as Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Right. And many thanks to our sponsors too. That's handsongloves.com, his team over there, Jay Michelson, and also Monty Roberts University.com. That's where we started with the journey of putting everything online in 2009. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 